listening to Law and Gospel on Open Mic Friday. And on this day, we respond to emails that we have received that individuals have sent to our program at Law and Gospel at Law and Gospel 101.com. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and let's begin with the first email. Hi, gives his name and says he listens to us on the radio as he makes deliveries in his truck around the metro east area of St. Louis. I have three questions. I come from an evangelical, specifically Pentecostal background, and I am a bit confused by your teaching on the sacraments. As you probably know, My particular tradition teaches that communion and baptism are primarily symbolic or ceremonial in nature. Would you be able to explain the role that the holy sacraments play in salvation or being born again? I follow up on that question might be, is salvation by faith alone or salvation by faith alone? and holy baptism. Okay, let's deal with that first question. And I'm going to really take a look at what he says about the role of sacraments in being born again. As soon as I hear the word born again, I remember Jesus talking to a Pharisee. His name was Nicodemus. And... He tells them that he must be born again. And Nicodemus says, do I have to get back in my mother's womb? That's not possible. Jesus says, and you are a teacher in this faith, and you do not know this? And what Jesus then does, he points back to Ezekiel, where it says very clearly that there is a time coming when God will sprinkle us with water, and through that sprinkling we will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that means Pentecost. And at that Pentecostal wonderful event, you will receive two gifts, both the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Why is that necessary? Well, think about it. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, and you have to go back to the cross for everything, he talked about to the Father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. He also said, it is finished. Told the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. In other words, what are the means by which God uses to transfer the benefits of the cross to you. Simply read Romans chapter 6 on baptism, and you will find that you were on the cross with Jesus because of your baptism. You were buried with him. You had risen from the dead, and you are now at the right hand of God. That's why we refer to baptism 
and the Lord's Supper as sacraments. The word sacrament means a holy item. So when you ask the question, is salvation by faith alone or salvation by faith and holy baptism? Well, the answer is yes. People have been saved by faith alone. Uh, The best example, of course, is in the Old Testament with Abraham. Abraham, you and Sarah are going to have a baby. Now, it's going to take 25 years. You're going to be 100. She's going to be 90. And Sarah kind of laughed at that, but Abraham believed it. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, Abraham had never been baptized with the baptism of Pentecost, but he received the gift of the Holy Spirit and was declared righteous through faith in the promises of God. Uh, Then you have that passage from Mark, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Faith alone is sufficient. But what baptism gives is another way in which God makes a promise to you that you will receive the benefits of the cross. Question two. Can a person be a believer, then intentionally commit a mortal or gross sin, not repent, and still be a believer? What if they plan on repenting at a later time? And then he gives this example. A person who claims to be a believer displays all the characteristics externally that a Christian should display, is married, then has an affair, and moves in with the affair partner and leaves the spouse. This person plans on repenting when the divorce is finalized and the marriage to the new partner is realized. There may be multiple possibilities, such as this person is a false convert and was never soundly saved to begin with. This person was a true believer, but is no longer one now. Or this person was and still is a believer who is currently living in unrepentant sin. What do you think? Well, as a pastor of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, you will notice that every time we distribute the Lord's Supper in worship, there is always a confession of sins. I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto thee all my sins and iniquities. I deserve nothing but temporal and eternal punishment. Then the pastor says... Upon this, your confession, I, by virtue of my office, as a called and ordained servant of the word, announce the grace of God to you. And in the stead, and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, what does that mean? Notice the first words of the absolution. Upon this, your confession. If your confession is not truly one of repentance, like, well, I plan on repenting when the divorce is finalized and the marriage to the new partner is realized, what are you repenting of? You see, repentance is an attitude towards what you have done where you blame yourself. I'm not saying that divorced persons who have remarried cannot be forgiven, but it's not on the basis of, I know what I'll do. I'm going to start living with this other woman, and then when I'm ready, I will repent. No, repentance isn't something that you decide to do. It is a gift from the Holy Spirit. Remember when Jesus sends the Holy Spirit and talks to it about the disciples, he says to them that the Holy Spirit will have the task of showing that we are unrighteous. And he will also have the task of showing that God declares us to be righteous. But that occurs in repentance. That's why we said last week that a woman who has an abortion and is not repentant of it should never take the Lord's Supper. And the reason for that is, take a look at 1 Corinthians 11. Just taking the Lord's Supper, one does not receive the gift of the forgiveness of sins unless there is a repentant attitude towards one sin. And in fact, what happens to those who take the Lord's Supper in this wrong way? Some of them get ill, some of them even die. And it's not at all unusual for a pastor to be talking to a woman after four or five years after a divorce, and she is really having a problem with what she has done. Their law and gospel needs to be applied so the person comes to a realization that they have sinned and therefore ask God for forgiveness. Question three, could you share some time how you came to faith in Jesus? Now, the question in the email has the word you underlined, and I think that's part of the problem, because it's not when I came to faith when I made some kind of a decision. The question should be, could you share some time how Jesus brought you to faith? And the answer is, when I was just a few days old, after my birth, I was baptized into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, it is through God's promises in baptism that I received the gift of faith. 
Thank you so much, Pastor Tom. I truly enjoy your teaching, and it has opened my eyes and clarified a number of things theologically and in my own understanding of my faith. Uh, The next email really kind of is adopted on on this previous email. Tom, one of the big questions that is asked in my Bible class is, where does the belief come from, God or me? Now, let's use an example. I think that the use of metaphors are really important in preaching because they help an understanding of how things happen from God's point of view. So let me kind of use a a metaphor here to explain the answer, where does faith, belief come from? How long does it take a newborn baby to trust mom and dad? It doesn't take very long at all. And what is the source of that faith? Well, the source of that faith is how the parents deal with the child. When the child is hungry and receives food, when the child is cold and receives clothing, when the child is tired and is able to sleep in its own crib, it automatically has faith in the parents. Now, where did that faith come from? A decision on the part of the child or what the parents did? It's definitely what the parents did. Had the parents had this child born, and then as some in Rome used to do at the time of Jesus, particularly if it was a female, they would just take it out into the forest, lay it down, and walk away, and the child would die. There was no faith in that child because of the way the parents held So also, what God does is a child comes to learn through what the parents are teaching, through baptism, and through meditation on God's Word, how much He loves you. He is the Father in Heaven, the Brother in Christ, and the Guide of the Holy Spirit. And so faith is not a decision the child makes. Faith instead comes about because of how the parents behave with the child. Faith comes about as we learn how God behaves with us. And nothing is more important than the cross of Jesus Christ. Next email, Uh, Pastor Baker, I spoke to you at one of your seminars. I was the person from, and then indicates, I felt I really needed to tell you what happened about four to five years ago. In a nutshell, 
the law convicted me of my sins. Believe it or not, it was on a hike in Canada. I guess you could call that a mountaintop experience. Just out of the blue, it struck me. I was convicted so hard, you would not believe. But it did not change me much as I hid from God at that point. You know, leaving the email, what is she describing? She's describing the experience of Adam and Eve. They were hit by the law after they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which God had forbidden them to eat. And guess what? When they ate of it, they tried to hide from God. She says, it didn't change me much as I hid from God at that point. Now, she doesn't ever explain what that particular sin or sins were, but it really convicted her. And that's what wasn't changed. So she says, going on with the email, realizing that was not working, I went to find answers. I was a sponge to sermons, radio programs, etc. Coming from a Roman Catholic background, I attended Mass on a semi-regular basis. Did everything I could to change my ways, but that was not sufficient. Boy, uh, leaving the email again, is that a perfect summary of a person living under the law, trying to change their ways and finding that there is no way that you can do that. So, next paragraph. One day, about four to five years ago, I was driving in my car on Manchester, and I happened upon KFUO. You and Todd Wilkin were discussing law and gospel, and it totally hit me. I cried like a baby for about an hour after truly realizing the good message of the gospel and the forgiveness in Jesus. Since I have attended, and she names the Lutheran Church, and continued being a sponge to the gospel, and I am a regular listener to your program, my sanctification process has not been easy, but I feel like my sinful ways are changing, not to try to get right with God, but to celebrate Jesus. This is a wonderful feeling. And I want to emphasize, she's talking now about the life of sanctification. She's already been justified And that's why the life of sanctification isn't the method of saving us. It's a method of responding to hearing that we have been saved by Jesus Christ. That's a really good message. Then I am going to read the final paragraph she has. 
Lastly, I want to tell you that God has chosen a very good instrument to spread the message of the gospel. That instrument is you. Thank you. Now, why would I read that? That sounds like I'm kind of bragging, doesn't it? No, I read that because that can apply also to you. Remember, in even the email letter, she thanks for hearing not just from me, but also from Todd Wilkin, who is excellent when it comes to a distinction between law and gospel. So you, too, can get that kind of applause from someone when you tell them the message of Jesus Christ. Perhaps you already have, as you have brought up your children in the way of the Lord. And the way to do that, of course, is to make sure that they attend Sunday school on a regular basis, because through that, they come to learn about Jesus. So we're not bragging on KFUO because people hear us, but when someone from a different religion where law and gospel is not properly taught, here's KFUO, they get to love it. Next email shows that. I enjoy your law and gospel program. I'm able to download your programs, which I generally listen to in the evening. The purpose of my email is my search for information on the Athanasian Creed. I I believe you did a program on it a while back that helped to explain it from a law and gospel perspective. Can you point me to that program, or if you have something in written form, explain its content? Then the person mentions that some of the verses give the impression of works being important, and yet that's not so from my understanding. The peace of the Lord be with you. Yes, I remember that program I did on the Athanasian Creed, And I got such a good response to it that what I did is I wrote a six-page paper explaining each portion of the Athanasian Creed. Now, where did I get that idea from? Well, if you take a look at the Apostles' Creed, there isn't a phrase in it that is not from a Bible passage. And so what I attempted to do is do the Athanasian Creed and explain each of its sentences from a Bible passage. And it took six pages to do that. Now, I am more than willing to send you a copy of it. Uh, The cost is only $5, but don't send me any money. Simply order it. And when you get the Athanasian Creed, there will be a way in which you can pay the $5. And if you want to also give a 
gift for law and gospel. So how do you do that? You email me at lawandgospel at lawandgospel101, that's 101.com. Law and Gospel at lawandgospel101.com. And just put down your name and your address. Uh, I also like to have phone numbers because it gives me the opportunity, if you ask a question, that I can phone you with the answer. And you will receive a copy of the Athanasian Creed. Uh, By the way, if you ordered my new book, and that's on emails, there's 400 emails. If you've already ordered that and received it, make a note of that in your email, and I will send you a free copy of the Athanasian Creed. And by the way, the emails are $15, so... If you don't have the email book and want the Athanasian Creed, the cost will be $20 for the two of them. Just send me an email at longgospel at longgospel101.com with your name and the address to which you want these items mailed, and we'll be glad to send them to you. Well, we've got more emails But our time is running out, so we'll continue that next Open Mic Friday, especially any new emails that you would send us. I'm Tom Baker, and you can look forward to Monday's program on Law and Gospel and realize that it's an opportunity to hear a Bible passage uh, from a law and gospel point of view. Till then, God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.